Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the MLB, a little bit of NFL stuff in the beginning. You'll see what I'm talking about. A super secret special segment. And of course, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 120. With the trade of Carson Wentz to the Colts, not a single quarterback drafted in the first round from 2009 to 2016 is still with their original team. Some of those notable players were Matthew Stafford and Mark Sanchez from 2009, Blake Bortles from 2014, Jared Goff from 2016, and of course, like I said, Carson Wentz. Speaking of his trade to the Colts, the deal is he went to the Colts for a 2021 third round draft pick and a conditional 2022 second round draft pick with the possibility of that being a first rounder. If Carson Wentz plays 75% of the offensive snaps for the Colts or plays 70% of the offensive snaps and the Colts make a playoff appearance. What do you guys yeah. think about that deal? That So I just want to highlight something real quick about that fun fact. So every, everything is true, but that makes 22 total quarterbacks chosen in the first round in those seven years that are still that are not with their original team that drafted them which is absolutely insane uh especially if you think about some of the quarterbacks who were drafted the not as important ones like ej manuel remember him probably not or paxton lynch probably not so it's that's a pretty crazy stat i think but I want to get Mike's opinion on what he thinks about this trade for Carson Wentz because I expressed my opinion to you all uh, when this happened, but I want Mike's opinion because you didn't give us at all. I mean, like, I feel like this trade is sort of a win-win, right? Like, the Colts needed a quarterback with uh, with uh, Philip Rivers retiring, right? Um Wentz has proven he can be good. I mean, he was an MVP. Before his first injury, he was definitely an MVP candidate, like, that season. So Wentz has proven he can be good. They didn't have to give up a ton to go get him. Um, And the Eagles get rid of their situation where they had two quarterbacks and, you know, Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson slash management didn't get along. So I feel like this trade is just a win-win. The Eagles got some capital from a player they didn't need nor want. And the Colts got a player they needed for maybe a little bit cheaper than they otherwise would have. So I feel like that's a win-win. And they got that nice guarantee or sort of guarantee that it, right. Basically if he gets hurt, um, they don't have to give up as many picks basically. So. Well, and it's not as many picks. It's just well, it's as just high of a value, pick, right. Cause they're still getting, giving up the same amount. So, I agree that it is a win-win. When I first heard of this trade, I, my first, my initial thought was, well, the Colts went before this trade happened, were a quarterback away from being a, a Super Bowl contender. And after the trade, I said, I still think they're a team that is a quarterback away from a Super Bowl contender. But honestly, with what looking at how they set up this trade, how everything worked out, it doesn't matter really, in my opinion, how Carson Wentz does in this first year. As long as he is about as serviceable as Philip Rivers is, he's probably, I would say, due to his athletic ability, he is 
he gives the Colts a chance at winning at least another game, if not two, maybe that second game coming as an actual win in the, in the playoffs, which is what the Colts are hoping for. Um, the Colts were 11 and five last year as a wild card team. They were the seventh seed going to Buffalo. Uh, there was the three-way tie in the AFC. If that puts them at plus one win with Carson Wentz, they're a 12 and four football team, which that could be a possible home game, depending on how the playoffs are set up again. So if you get a home game, you have a, probably have a better chance at winning that game. So we'll see. I think it, a lot of it obviously depends on Carson Wentz's health, which is why I love how Chris Ballard, who is the GM for the Colts, organized this deal, right? They don't have to give up a first round pick unless Carson Wentz actually plays, you know, that 75% of his offensive snaps or 70% with a playoff appearance with him starting, I should say. So I think it's definitely a win-win. The Colts definitely had the cap space to bring him in on this on his contract that they have. And plus, you know, if he doesn't do well for these next two years, they can uh, turn around and possibly flip him. And even if he is a shell of what he once was and he returns to what Mike alluded to, that MVP form that he had with the Eagles, I don't know if that – I think that might have been his second season with the Eagles possibly um, – then they could possibly turn turn him around into a first-round pick maybe. So I think the Colts got away with an absolute steal of a deal here, and they definitely had to pay way less than it would have taken to get them Matt Stafford. Something else to consider is uh, Frank Reich, the, the Colts head coach, was also Wentz's offensive coordinator in Philly for the 20, 2017 season, which was extremely successful for Philadelphia, obviously. So having them reunited, might, we might see something – good come out of that yeah I mean you definitely go from a very as we're finding out tumultuous relationship between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson to one that has apparently been very um very charismatic between the two of them and when Frank Reich was actually in Philadelphia so yeah it'll be interesting to see I think the Colts are definitely one of the three best teams in the AFC next season uh, probably behind the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, just the way that they are set up. But, you know, they have a great defense, and defense has the ability to win championships. So we'll see what happens. Uh, well, something that isn't winning championships anytime soon, uh, that is our beloved men's basketball team. Hey, and you never know. They control their own destiny for the national championship. What? <laughs> Mike said, <laughs> uh, I'm not wrong. If they you don't, you are definitely the not year, wrong. They will win the national championship. I wonder I what the odds would be if you placed a bet on the Cyclones winning a national championship. Oh, I'd get great odds. I'd probably get what thousand to one odds on that. Probably yeah, more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Put so bucks, put 10 bucks down on that. Why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right. Uh, but it, it, in all likelihood is not going to happen. Um, no, they played two games this week, uh, or this past week, I should say, um, both of them resulting in a loss. Uh, and it was the two, um, Oklahoma schools. The first one was at Oklahoma state. Um, and the outcome of this game, pretty grim. It was the seventh time this season that Iowa State finished a game with single-digit team assist. 
I that just boggles my mind. Um, I guess when you watch the team too, there's a lot of trying to make your own, create your own shot on offense, and it doesn't work. And usually the games that they're a little bit closer in uh, in the stat sheet as well as the scoreboard are games where they do actually have a team assists. But this team is always and has forever this season been plagued with turnovers, and that just continues to be the story for the season. They turn around and lose at home uh, to Oklahoma. They did, however, come back from 29 points down to take a one-point lead late in that game. I believe that was at the under-eight timeout uh, when they uh, completed that run. But then after that, there was just not enough gas in the tank to finish out that game. And good teams win basketball games down the stretch. Uh, And that is, I would say, is not the Cyclones team, whereas Lon Kruger is able to put his team in a situation to win those games. So, yeah. Uh, I'm zero be honest, I didn't even realize we came back in that game. It was so bad at halftime, I turned it off and then just looked at the final score, and I was like, oh, at least we made it competitive in the second half and never actually realized we took a lead until just oh, now when yeah. you said that. We had a one-point lead in that game. It was either at the under-eight timeout or just before the under-eight timeout. Um, so good, good on the team for trying to overcome adversity there, but just not enough. Uh, right now the team is 0 and 13. Um, there have only been, I believe three teams in big 12 history, uh, that have gone a season winless in conference play. The last team to do so was TCU, I believe in 2016, either 2015 or 2016, um, and then a year later, they had that huge upset against Kansas when they were also winless again. Um, but with two games left on the schedule, uh, there's not a great opportunity in the first game as they play on the road in Waco against Baylor, who is, by all accounts and in every category this year, one of the best teams in the nation, uh, as they still currently sit in the AP poll. Um, And then they have a home game to finish out the year against TCU uh, that is potentially, well, it could potentially be Steve Prohm's last game as a head coach, but it could potentially be the last game for the Cyclones to win this season. I do say potentially there are three postponed games that the Cyclones have not played yet that have also not been rescheduled. These are games against Texas, uh, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Uh, so I'm not sure if the Big 12 is planning on rescheduling these games or not. We will see what happens, um, but stay tuned to that. And if you want to watch the Cyclones play this week, you have an opportunity to watch them possibly get obliterated by Baylor and a maybe put up a good fight against TCU. But it's on next season, and hopefully this team will be better. Uh, their recruit, Ty- Tyree, Hunter, or I forget his first name, if it's actually Tyree, but uh, Hunter, their four-star recruit, was nominated to be a McDonald's All-American and play for that team in that showcase. So there is some talent coming in, but will Steve Prohm be here to coach it? And if he's not, will that talent uh, end up staying with their commitment to Iowa State? Moving on to women's basketball, where things are a little bit uh, less bleak. 
They had two games as well in this past week. They won their first game at KU. Uh, it was a close game, ended up being a two-point win. Lexi Donarski just continues to be on a tear for this team. Uh, she was uh, named freshman of the week in the Big 12 again. I believe this is the third or fourth time of such honor for her this season. Uh, she has got some very, very bright years ahead in this program going forward. Uh, they ended up losing to Oklahoma State on the road in a seven-point loss. Uh, they are now sitting at 14-9 and nine overall, uh, and that lands them in fifth place. Uh, in the Big 12 Conference standings. They only have one more game to play. That is this Wednesday, a home game against West Virginia. Uh, with where everything is, everything stands right now and how the, uh, the teams ahead of them are shaking out, it does seem that Iowa State will probably finish the season in fifth place in the Big 12 standings. Uh, not a bad season at all. At the beginning of the season, we had hoped for a little bit more, but some key injuries and some uh, some losses in the team this year due to some COVID issues as well uh, hasn't played kindly for them down the stretch. So we'll see what they are able to do uh, if there is a Big 12 tournament to be played, and we will see how far they go in the NCAA tournament. Quick, quick correction for you, Kyle. They do have two games left. They do have a rescheduled game with KU, um, oh. in the like in a cup that's a, a week after that West Virginia. I missed. Two. I missed one on, on that schedule. My apologies to our listeners. But, yeah, uh, but with with that, they do have a chance to if they could upset West Virginia, they do have a chance to squeak past Texas into fourth in the standings. Right now, Texas is at a ton of postponed games. So Iowa State has one more win than Texas, but also one more loss. So it's a weird situation right now in the standings. But Iowa State is guaranteed a top five finish because there's a lot of separation between um, number five, Iowa State, and number six, Oklahoma. It's like three and a half games. Um, But they could slip past Texas depending on – how Texas does, they have four games remaining, including one against Baylor. So there's a chance Iowa State could pass Texas. So keep an eye on that in the women's standing. I appreciate that correction. I actually did not see uh, that schedule update where I was looking, thanks to ESPN for not providing that information for me. A lousy place to find your college or women's college basketball information. So yeah, don't use ESPN. On that note, Mike, what are we looking forward to here in the next coming weeks? I mean, the NCAA tournament is probably the first thing. But more importantly, baseball. Baseball is back. It is officially spring. Uh, spring training is underway. I believe all 30 teams now have uh, started camp. Um, COVID, testing league, COVID intake testing league-wide has gone pretty well. Um, the positive percentage, I believe, was around a slightly under 1% um, of incoming players tested positive. So really low number. Most of those cases are asymptomatic. So COVID is not having a very big impact um, on the start of baseball season, at least personnel wise. Obviously there are changes to camp routines and whatnot, but um, for the most part, that is going well. Um, Spring training games will start um, 
this week in the Grapefruit League, at least. The Twins' first game is on Sunday. Um, it is a highly regionalized. Uh, so the Grapefruit League, unlike the Cactus League, where all the teams are in Phoenix, so like the furthest team, or they're in Glendale, I forget. Anyway, they're all in one city. Um, so they're all like 20 miles apart at most. In Florida, they're a lot more spaced out. So you have a highly regionalized Grapefruit League schedule. The Twins play virtually all their games against the Red Sox, Braves, and Rays because they're the three teams that are closest. So um, you'll, in the, if you got a Grapefruit League team, you'll see a lot of the same teams in spring training just because they want to minimize those cross-Florida bus trips when you would be going from the West Coast to Florida to the East Coast to Florida. Um, other than that, there's not much to report from spring camp yet. The only major injury so far is uh, JT Relamudo, the catcher for Philadelphia, has broken a finger, and he's going to miss most of camp but should be ready for opening day. And the other big news was Fernando Tatis Jr., the young shortstop for San Diego, signed a, what was it, 14-year, $340 million deal. Is that the right numbers, Kyle? I believe that is correct, yes. I want to get you guys' take on that um, before I give my opinion on that deal. I have an opinion on that deal. I want to know what you guys think. Uh, What what does that make him, like the fourth highest paid player in the league right now? It's the third largest contract in total value ever, I believe, behind Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. I wasn't there some clause that where he gave up a percentage of his salary with a contract that he signed in the minor leagues. I'd have to do some research in that, but I actually heard about that recently, uh, which piqued my interest, obviously, but I don't know. He's, what is he? 20, he's 22 years old, 23 years old right now. Low twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there had been, if there had been enough like proof of concept yet, I think it might've been a little early to pay him, but you know, I'm in favor of paying players. I I don't mind the deal. The Padres definitely have an expensive infield though, with Eric Hosmer making over $144 million on his contract. I believe Manny Machado has over $300 million on his contract. And now so does Fernando Tatis. So the Padres have a lot of money tied up in their infield going forward here. Yeah, I'm, I think this is just a bad deal for the Padres because, like you said, they have a lot of money on the books right now, and they could get Tatis playing for $500,000 each of the next two seasons, right, where he's still pre-arbitration playing for league minimum. Like, next, first of all, these next two years, they're paying him, like, 20-plus million dollars more than they have to. Second of all, yes, he was phenomenal last year, but it still screams small sample size. Like, I think he's going to be a good player. Obviously, they do too, otherwise they wouldn't have paid him. But that much for a young player who hasn't played more than 100, I don't think he's got more than 100 major league games. That just seems like a lot to me. That much money for someone with that few games just seems like a lot. And in baseball with fully guaranteed contracts, I feel like... Put it this way, I think he's going to play on at least three, if not four different teams before this contract is over. There's no way the Padres are going to pay this entire contract. I mean, Yeah, I mean, you, you see it with the Nolan Arenado contract, right? The Rockies paid him, what was it, last offseason? They paid him a bunch of money, 
And now this year he gets traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, but the Rockies end up sending, what was it like $60 million or something like that to help offset the cost of his contract for the Cardinals. So I, I agree that he'll probably end up playing on a few different teams by the end of it. Um, but you know, the Padres like what they see in a small sample size. And hey, if they want to shell out the money for it, more power to them, I guess. Yeah, that's that's true. And I get well, look at look at the Padres as of late. They have been absolutely gunslinging it in terms of trades that they've made. You Darvish, Mike Clevenger at the trade deadline last year, uh, Blake Snell as well. The Padres are all in. Um I guess I'm not sure why they had to pay Tatis this early uh, per your, like an agreement with you, but yeah, the, the Padres are all in and it looks like their window of opportunity might be the next two years. So we'll see if going all in pays out for them. Yeah. But they're going to be in so much trouble if they, uh, if they don't win a world series, they basically set themselves back 10 or 15 years with what they've done. So. Yeah. Cause they're, their farm system is obliterated. They don't have much left talent-wise. So, I mean, you got to give them credit for going big, but if they crash and burn, boy, is it going to be uh, fiery. Anyway, I've got a uh, special segment I'm bringing you all today. Um, I'm sure many of our longtime 8311 cast listeners know this segment and love this segment with baseball back. You all know what it is. It is, of course, our weekly turtle tab. Yes, everyone, the weekly turtle tab is back. Kyle is thrilled. Wyatt is thrilled. Um, For those of you who are new to this podcast, who don't know what the weekly turtle tab is, the weekly turtle tab is where I fill you in on all the happenings of baseball savior, the one and only La Tortuga, Willens Astadio. So Willens Astadio reported to Twins camp here this last week. Um, he's a catcher still technically, so he had to report with the pitchers and catchers. Um, there's not much to report on what he's done so far, but he is projected to be in contention for the Twins final roster spot. I mean, he's a career 290 hitter at this point, plus he gives defensive flexibility. Granted, he's not good at any of those defensive positions, but he does have defensive flexibility. So we'll keep you informed on La Tortuga's stats as the spring training games kick off this week and continue to see if he makes 26 man roster out of camp or if he has to spend some time um, pleasing fans across the river in St. Paul to start the year. There you go, your weekly turtle tab, your first of many, hopefully, for the year. No, La Tortuga. Now that that nonsense is over, I'd like to just put in a clarification on something that Mike said earlier. Yes, most of the Cactus League is indeed in the suburbs of Phoenix between Glendale, Surprise, and Scottsdale as well. So those are all suburbs of the Phoenix metropolitan. Yeah, that's not the way it works. And you've got teams all over the place. And so you don't have more than two teams in the same city ever in Florida. So. Um, anyway, moving right along to a seg- uh, one of our uh, favorite segments that everybody else knows and everybody loves. It's Mike's Stupid Rules. And it's quiz time in Mike's Stupid Rules, 
we are going to throw ourselves back and rewind to the original purpose of Mike's Stupid Rules. First quiz question, Wyatt, what was the original purpose of Mike's Stupid Rules? Uh, probably complaining about the roughing the passer in the NFL. That, that, that'd be my guess. That is incorrect. We did do that in our first episode, but we didn't uh, have a specific segment about rules back then. Kyle, you redeem themselves. Why did the Mike Stupid Rules segment start? I don't think I'm going to redeem us, but I'm going to say clarification and edification for our listeners in the world of sports. Oh, are you a marketing major or something? Like, what was that? <laughs> what is that? Get out of here. No. If you remember, Mike Stupid Rules started as a way for me to teach you two about the rules of hockey. Yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. So, going back to that, quiz question number two, Wyatt, can you explain offsides in hockey? It's when the puck goes past the the blue line without hitting. you, You whack the puck really hard, right? And it goes across the second blue line that's furthest away from you without touching another player in between. You sort of described icing. <laughs> oh, that's icing? Oh, dang it. Icing, icing is when it goes past the goal line. When you're on your half of the rink and you hit it past the opponent's goal line. It is- Am I thinking of like when it, it touches the it touches your team across that blue line when there's not another team person past them? Close. Offsides uh, is... Um, Offsides is when um, when the puck enters your offensive zone, so crosses the blue line after one of your players is already in there. So the puck has to enter the offensive zone that's, before all of your players. And then that's... That's close. Um, also, just a clarification, the reason I came up with this, and don't worry, Kyle, we'll get to your next quiz question in just a second. But while we're talking about offsides, the reason I brought that one up specifically is because they did change the offside rule slightly for this year. If you remember previously, to be considered onsides, one part of your body had to be touching the ice on or behind the blue line. They got rid of the touching the ice part this year. So if your foot is above the blue line, so the blue line now extends upward, right? Foot is now in the air, but still above the blue line. You are now on sides, where previously you would have been off sides if you weren't making contact with the ice past the blue line. It's a slight change this year. Um, they, that's really the reason why I did this, but I also want to see how much you remember about hockey. Kyle, can you explain the difference between high sticking and playing the puck with the high stick and the difference in um, rule? So I believe that high sticking in itself is when you use you use the stick and you're you're trying to you're swinging at the puck. We'll say any like any level. Of, let's say above the waist. We're gonna go for that. But the difference between uh, like high what was it high sticking with the puck? There's there's high sticking. There's a high sticking penalty. And then there's playing the puck with the high stick. Playing the puck with the high stick, you're just knocking it straight down to the ground. Okay. Right? You're sort of on the right track. So playing the puck with the high stick, yes, is if a, you hit the puck with your stick, with your stick above your shoulders. That, that's playing the puck with the high stick. That basically just results in a dead puck and a face-off, right? Yeah. Violation, not a penalty. 
High sticking, you're very far off though. High sticking is a two minute minor penalty. If you hit somebody in the face with your stick, that's high sticking. That's a two minute minor penalty. It can actually turn into a four minute double minor penalty under one circumstance. Can either of you tell me what that is? When you hit two people in the head with a <laughs> stick. If you whack, do whack. That, that's impressive, but no, <laughs> not what I was thinking of. Is it if you blindside the player with the stick? Nope. It's if you draw blood. If your high stick draws blood, then it is a four then it is a double minor four minute penalty to draw blood. The so basically you know. what we learned here is that you guys did not absorb any of the hockey rules I tried to teach. I, I did a little bit. Why do I look like a sponge to you? Well, no. better than Kyle, but yes. Yeah. But what I really did want to get out of this rule segment is the slight change to the offsides rule. Um, Cause that is a new in the NHL this year. So there you go. Changing the offsides rule and Kyle and Wyatt still know nothing about hockey. Go hockey. Um, what all of us seem to know nothing about is how to make good predictions because we generally just make bad predictions. The really only Kyle has a wrong prediction this week. Um, <laughs> so maybe it's just Kyle who's bad at predictions. We'll see. We are coming closer to the end of this season where we'll reveal our write that down prediction um, end of season results. So stay tuned for that in a couple months. But in the meantime, for this week, we had four predictions come off the board. Okay. But I would just like to say there's a theme here. So usually I make a prediction and then you all spite me. And then that prediction becomes true, which I'll be good at making predictions. Then this seems like your problem. I don't know. There's a theme. <laughs> anyway, well, the first prediction to come off the board, Kyle, you actually got right. You predicted way back at the conference start of the conference season that Iowa State would have five or less conference wins. Well, with two games left, when you have zero wins, it's hard to get up to five. So, ding, 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 ding. 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 Um, I predicted that Iowa State men would finish in the bottom half of the standings and the Iowa State women would finish in the top half of the standings. Um, as we talked about, um, with the cycling women being guaranteed a top five finish, that will now happen. So I get a ding, 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 ding. Um, Kyle, last week you predicted that Rafa, Rafael Nadal would win the Australian Open and he proceeded to get eliminated like two days later in the quarterfinals. So for that, you get a nah. I would just like to say that he had never lost a Grand Slam match while going up three sets or two sets to nothing over his opponent, like in the past seven or eight years. And this was the only time that it happens when I make a prediction. Again, seems like your problem. Agreed. And the last prediction to come off the board um, was from Wyatt. Wyatt countered Kyle by saying that uh, Novak Djokovic would win the Australian Open, which he did. So this definitively proves Wyatt's tennis knowledge is greater than Kyle's. <laughs> <laughs> also, not true. Next week, tune in for our tenet, special tennis segment. Yes, just just by Wyatt. Wyatt, can you do a 10-minute tennis segment for us? Oh, I, I totally could. I bet I, I'll whip something up. <laughs> All right, I'd love to hear it. I look forward to it for next week.
But those are all four of the predictions coming off the board. So to finish up this episode, we need Kyle to put something back up on the board for us. What do you got, Kyle? Yeah, so since I'm so good at predicting it, um, I'm going to say that Rafa, despite his loss in the Australian Open, he will win two at least two Grand Slam titles this season. So for all of our listeners out there, the Australian Open was uh, number one of the season. There are three remaining, Wimbledon, the French Open, and the uh, U.S. Open. Those are all dependent on whether those get played or not. But since the Australian Open went off without a hitch, I don't see why those, although Wimbledon is a little bit more. Okay. Um, so two out of three. You're saying he's going to win two out of three. I mean, he should have already had one by now. Like, he yeah, should have won the Australian Open. So he's probably going to win the French because he always wins the French. He's so good on clay. Um, boy, does he win the other? Boy, what do you think? Double, Wyatt? Triple. No, only because if we give him a double, he's going to No, I was going to say, it. there's no way that this can be a double just for the mere fact that it's an individual sport, and then there's also the chance for injury throughout the entire season. See what like, I mean? This goes all the way through sit, this prediction. See, we, right. we have to give him a triple. Like, I can't right. deal with it. I'm fine with that. Fine. I, like, it just it doesn't make any sense for it to be less than a triple. I'm fine we'll, with triple. I won't yeah, we'll give you trouble. There's no, no argument there. So my prediction, which I had uh, disguised until just now because I didn't want to spoil a special segment. I wanted Kyle to be surprised by what that special segment was. I wasn't surprised. I guessed it before we even started. <laughs> but my prediction, continuing from our weekly turtle tab, is that La Tortuga, Willens Ostadio, will make the Twins opening day roster. Okay. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Double, single. Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm trying to gauge Mike's facial reaction. And I'm, I I have no idea. Poker face. I think this should be a home run. Uh huh. I'm sure you do. Yeah. While I while I stall, I I'm hoping Kyle is uh looking up some statistics or something. Literally anything. <laughs> He looks like he's looking up something, but I don't know what he could be. He, he does look very confused in the facial read. Uh, man. Do you want us to move on to Wyatt's prediction while you're deciding to award this one? Is that against the rules of this segment, Wyatt? I, don't I mean, well, it's not, but so there's no Austin point in doing it. 100% going to be on the 40, man. Well, yes, he is already on the 40. But... And he has waivers. He has, oh, sorry, he has an option here. So they wouldn't need to put him on waivers if they don't carry him. He actually has a fair number of options. I think that he is not going to start on the opening day roster, but he will definitely make the big leagues at some point. How strongly do you feel about that? I don't know. He could have a really good spring, but where are they going to play him on the infield since they just got um, uh, Simmons? And then they also have... um, Arise, who is going to be looking for playing time as well. You got as... to roll your eyes there. You got to roll huh? those R. You got to roll those R's in arise. No, arise. 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 Um, double. Are you mad with the double? Wyatt. I'm. I'm fine with a double. That's. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, I'll take a double. I will gladly take a double for that. I will gladly take a double for that. Wyatt, what do you got? I'm going to say, so, so some background here. The Washington football team announced today 
uh, maybe it was yesterday, that they're, they announced that they're going to announce their new team name at some point, probably. So with that, I'm going to say that the Washington football team will release their name for this next write that down prediction. And their team name will not be an animal. So we know there's at least 14 teams in the NFL that have um, animal names, right? And I would be willing to argue there's 27 or 28 that are actually animal names if you count humans, right? Like the Chiefs, That's I would count that. I would count that as an animal name. Are those animals? The uh, the Vikings, the, the Buccaneers, Bills, the the Raiders, right? Like th- those are all um, those are all animal names. Then I guess which ones aren't animals? The Jets, the Jets, the Giants, the Titans. You could argue that those are all animals. The Giants and Titans are animals. They're mythical creatures. They're not real, right? I mean, if you're thinking of the Titans as of like the Titans, like the mythical creature, not the Titans as like the oil Titans. They have to be real, like real or at least semi-real, right? Like okay. based, you, you know what I'm trying to say here? So I would yeah. say that the, the Browns, right? The Browns, the Jets, the Giants, and the Titans would be the four that I would say are not animals. So the Packers are named after an animal? You gonna... Well, they're, they're named after the Acme Packing Company and specifically one dude who like founded the team, right? I, I could lump them in. That's fine. I could say five for the Packers. But if you look, right, you have the Cowboys, the Texans, the Vikings, Chiefs, Saints, Raiders, Chargers, 49ers, Patriots, Bucks. Chargers? What group would, what, how are the Chargers an animal? Aren't they like the, uh, the Native American something or other? I, <laughs> I, I feel like I should know that. You don't, you don't try to say though, that they're not going to be an animal based on a okay. large, like, and, and groupings of humans are considered animals. Yes. Okay. So they will not. So their team is not a mammal. An animal. A Cardinals. Mammal. Cardinals are mammals. Yeah, I was gonna say you throw out any team named after a bird if you say mammals, Kyle, and that's Uh-oh. probably like five to eight of the teams yeah, named after the Seahawks animals. and the Ravens at least. Yep. Cardinals. And the Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. So. Dolphins. Dolphins are mammals. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if there are any other teams named after actual fish instead of, <laughs> instead of aquatic mammals. Um, Man. Well, I, I have no idea what to give this, though. Now well, okay, who's, who's to say that they're not changing their name from the Washington football team? Like, is, football, is the football team an animal? I don't know. That's <laughs> if, if they were to keep it the same, that's a de- debate we would have to have. Okay. Um, it probably would be, actually, based on my definition, but I yeah. argued for myself. So that just made that even less likely. Crap. Are you, I'm so, thinking triple for this, Kyle. Yeah, sure. What the heck? Oh, I don't triple know what to give this. <laughs> triple it is. Uh, do we have anything from Joss this week? Is he still alive? He's still alive, um, but he does not have a prediction for this week. That's lame, but... For this season of the, the rules, that is a, the, that, that's valid, you know? That's legit. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to the 8311 cast. As you know, we're at the end of the episode because we just finished up our Write That Down predictions. And we appreciate you listening to this episode and every episode prior and after this, of course. Be sure to check out our Instagram at 8311cast. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones!